like Jared Scaldi Show, live from GameWorks at Newport on the Levee. Now, alongside the head coach of the Cyclones, Jared Scaldi, here's your host, Nick Brunker. All right, welcome in. It's another Monday night live. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. Glad you're with us on this Monday, December the 19th. It is our last show of 2011 before we will flip the calendar to 2012, according to some experts, the last year of our Earth. So we'll find out together if we can survive next winter time. And we are happy to have you along for what will be, hopefully, the beginning of a great week for the Cyclones. It is just a quick two-game stop against the same two teams the Cyclones saw last week with Chicago coming in Thursday and the first game of the week coming up on Wednesday uh, against Kalamazoo. Coach, I guess the headlines for today uh, are surrounding some of the roster moves. Not surprising as the American Hockey League has wrapped up their schedule until after the Christmas break break uh we received a handful of players talk about who's back and who's out well we're going to be getting uh, maury edwards back from peoria which we knew uh, uh going in, uh, after the weekend uh played a couple games up there for him for them and then uh, uh rob slaney's coming down he'll uh he'll be at practice tomorrow so all of a sudden we've uh we've got a log jam up, up forward we've got 12 all well, 13 forwards uh in practice tomorrow and six defensemen. So, um, you know, Garrett Suter uh, is, is on the IR. Mm-hmm. He's got a, uh, a pec issue that's going to take some time to heal. And then, um, you know, Taylor Aronson, he, uh, he's he got a, a, an elbow issue that's going to take a little bit of time, not as long as suits. And then uh, Jeff Foss is going to be activated off the IR and ready to play on Wednesday, which is going to be a big, uh, big plus for us. Uh, you know, big, strong uh, uh, stay-at-home defenseman that I think uh, – uh, you know, he'll get some ice time on Wednesday and Thursday and see how he responds. It's amazing, too, because uh, of how hard he's worked to get back onto the ice. Every day uh, he's been in the locker room, in the training room, eventually getting onto the bike and now onto the ice. Uh, and you can just tell for a guy like that, you know, it, it's nice at times to maybe get a break if you worked overworked. But for him, he's just been itching to get on the ice for weeks, and now finally he gets his chance. Yeah, it's been frustrating for him. He, uh, it was, a, it was a, not an re- overly big hit, but it, it rocked him nonetheless, and yeah. it was one those things you thought he might just need a couple days and uh maybe a week tops and he just never got any better he'd come in every day and not feeling uh you know with headaches and and some dizziness and and once that went away after a few weeks we were able to ease him on the bike and you know at a few times he had to get off the bike he just wasn't feeling uh feeling right but once he got uh through a couple workouts he's been practicing now he had a good skate today he'll get a good skate tomorrow and um you know he'll be ready to go all right, let's uh, break down the week as a whole. Certainly the, the two games against Kalamazoo, the one that sticks out, of course, is Friday with, with uh, my interest in what you had to say about it and, and what kind of went into the, uh, into the locker room afterwards conversation-wise that, that sparked what was a 3 nothing victory the next night against a depleted Express team. I guess first let's talk about uh, Friday's game as a whole and maybe if you want to even lump in Tuesday as well, go for it and tell me what you think. Yeah, I just felt that uh, the first time all year I thought we were outworked on Tuesday night. That was a, a game that, uh, you know, they didn't have their best lineup. We got, uh, uh, you know, a few guys down, and I just felt that we were we were out of sorts. We didn't, uh, you know, it was a game that they didn't even come and play that well. They, the game was just right. sitting there waiting for somebody to take it over, and I felt, uh, uh, you know, we just didn't respond. We were, uh, we, we just, it was just one of those ugly games, and, uh, you know, it, uh, I look at it as a blown opportunity because, like I said, they didn't come in playing particularly well themselves. So uh, that was disappointing, and, and we addressed it about, you know, we, we've, we've lost some games this year, and, um, you know, but it was never from lack of effort. There's been, for whatever reason, but I can, I can say honestly that there's been, the, the effort's always been there. And I felt Tuesday was a game that just, it wasn't, uh, it was to a man too. It wasn't just a few guys. You could just tell everybody just wasn't, uh, 
uh, we got out, we got outworked, and um, you know, and unfortunately, I thought we responded in the first part of the uh, the game Friday. You know, we got to a three-one lead, and um, their goalie made two empty net saves with his paddle. We had a breakaway mm-hmm. to go up four-one, possibly five-one, and then. You know, it's funny momentum, and we've talked about it this year, is, um, you know, they score at the end, uh, they score a shorthanded goal at the end of a power play, and you can just see, uh, you know, Chet's reaction and, and, and as a group, and from then on in, it was just uh, just an ugly situation. I felt it was, um, you know, I kept Chet in for the reason that, you know, Foster's going to be going on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he'd been sitting there for a couple hours already, and I didn't feel the need to put uh, Foster in that situation. But, uh, you know, you don't want to hang a guy out to dry like we did with Chet there. But, um, you know, that, that, that end of the second and third period was just uh, uh, a lot of what we saw on Tuesday night. So going into Saturday, I felt uh, the boys talked after the game. There was a meeting amongst mm-hmm. the guys after Saturday, Friday night in Kalamazoo. And, yeah. uh, you know, they addressed some issues and stuff. And, um, you know, I liked the way we came out on Saturday. And I know that's the type of leadership that you've wanted all along is, is a guy that's going to step up, Matthew Abam, Mike Liambis, the two in particular that stuck out and uh, that stuck out in, in my mind and actually talked – with the guys before you had even a chance to go in there after the game to discuss. So, uh, I mean, that's what you wanted from those guys, and that's why they're wearing the letters. Well, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's got to come from the heart situations like that. Last thing you want is a guy up there, you know, talking that, that that's not bringing it or is, um, you know, um, you know, fabricating some sort of thing. But I think with those two guys there, Abby really cares, Bus really cares, and all our guys care. But, um, you know, sometimes it means a lot more when the players have something to say, and I thought it was uh, – um, it was great that, that those two stepped up, and uh, you know I'm not sure of what whoever their guys stepped up or whatever, but definitely um, you know they they hashed some things out and uh, responded Saturday. Saturday was just another game where you you kind of lived up to your averages at home, and you've been such a good team at US Bank Arena. Your record now seven one, zero and two, and of course you've now let up a, an ECHL low sixty eight goals. Uh, at home collectively this season, which is the lowest among any of the ECHL teams, all 20 of them, and you're out shooting your teams, uh, the opposition, 32 to 26. Those are the numbers that have continued out through the season. And week after week, we kind of said, well, it's early, short short sample size. We'll see how it all averages out. Yet on a nightly basis, uh, you kind of know what you're going to get. And it started in the first. You carried it into the second. There were times there where it, it could have gone the opposite direction, where they were threatening. Yet for the most part, your team defense did what they've done all year at home. Yeah, I mean, we've played very well. I thought, you know, Brian Foster made some saves there at 2 nothing that, that, you know, could have made it a 2-1 game. I thought he, uh, he made some key saves. So, you know, I mean, that's a big difference in that game. I just felt our drive was there, guys uh, getting pucks and driving wide, driving the net, mm-hmm. you know, getting to those areas. I thought, uh, I thought you know, we're five defensemen we had. You know, Ryan Ainsley had only skated once or twice in the last two weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we asked him if, if, you know, if he can go, if he felt comfortable going. And, um, you know, for him, I, 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 he did a great job. I mean, he, he's not in game shape right now. Certainly he's only not. skated, like I said, once or twice. And he stepped in and did a great job for us. Uh, you know, David Leader here tonight, I thought he played his best game of the season uh, in all areas for us. And, um, you know, that whole, all five of those guys really contributed. We talked about forwards getting back, all five guys in all three zones at, at once, whether it's mm-hmm. the offensive zone, neutral zone, or mm-hmm. defensively. And uh, we did a good job of tracking and putting pressure on them to alleviate some of that pressure on our D. And I thought, uh, you know, when they had to be challenged, our D did a great job, but I think our forwards did a great job of helping them out also. You mentioned David Leadier. A.J. Jenks will be with us as well before we wrap things up on this Monday night. And Rob is here as well. Rob has a question. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, speaking, because 
everybody pretty much knows the kind of team. Chicago's a team that likes to mix it up and, and rough it up a little bit. You had to be happy with the way your guys really didn't take the bait most of that night. They were playing short. They were trying to get you guys to be shorthanded as well. But I thought you guys did a real good job about being disciplined and not falling for those uh, bait penalties that they tried to get you into most of the night. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that before the game and we in other games against Chicago. I mean, they're going to want to uh, bait you into stuff, like you said, Rob. But, uh, um, you know, they've got a couple guys here that, that they're better off on the ice. It's plays to our advantage, some of those guys in Chicago. So, um, you know, there's no use. Mike Leambus, you know, who obviously takes the the heavy workload, the heavy lifting for us in that area, you know, he's he's hurting from head to toe from his, uh, from his hand to his side to his knee and stuff. So, you know, there's no need for him to get involved, especially with only five defensemen. But... Uh, you know, I thought our guys did a good job sticking together and uh, not getting and caught up in some kind of game like that of uh, undisciplined play. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I thought that was a good job by our guys. Well, you talked about Buss and, of course, David that's here. But uh, to also talk about uh, Mike Pellick and another solid game. He's got 17 points in the 19 games of the season. Seems almost a point in nine. He's always putting himself in good situations. We thought he had an assist earlier in the game, and they, uh, they changed it. But just a guy that's just been skating really well since uh, you've uh, acquired him from Toledo. Yeah, I mean, uh, his, his skill level, I mean, it's incredible watching him in practice and, the, and his, uh, his ability with the puck. Um, and, and, and he's a gritty guy. Like he, watch him in face-off circles. He's like an old-school centerman where he, you know, he thinks in the face-off circle. He's trying to win it to his forehand. He might try to win it to his backhand. Sometimes he goes forward with it. Um, you know, he does a great job in those areas, but also protecting pucks. You watch him offensively, how he handles himself, how he doesn't throw pucks away, and even defensively with that stick. So he's, uh, he's extremely talented. Uh, I, I'm really, you know, we're, we're thrilled to have him, and, you know, he gets quality minutes for us. He plays in all situations, penalty killing, and on our power play. So, um, you know, he's a great guy in the room, very quiet guy, as you guys have seen him here. But yeah. he's... Uh, He's extremely skilled, and um, you know he's been doing a great job for us. Uh, you mentioned Pellick, and one of the things that Rob and I talked about a couple of times on the air during not only just this past weekend, but throughout the course of his time in Cincinnati, is that sometimes he, like you said, gets into that face-off circle, and for whatever the reason, unbeknownst to what we see up in the in the booth, he gets tossed out. And for whatever the reason, Saturday he was thrown out two or three times. What goes in with the conversations between the linesman and the centerman, and why does one center get kicked out versus the other? Well, on a nightly basis here, I don't know. I, I can't say why. <laughs> Sometimes you see their guy jump and our guys get kicked out and stuff. But, you know, I think it's, you're, everybody's pushing the, pushing the line. You know, you're trying to push that line of, of, of cheating and getting an advantage, and some nights it goes more your way compared to others. But, you know, Pelly's always looking for an advantage, whether he's uh, – like I said, on his forehand, trying to uh, mm-hmm. you know turn into the face-off circle, and sometimes you might jump the gun a little bit. So, um, I, you know, I think the biggest thing is building that relationship with a linesman. You know, um, you know, helping him out, and but also Find knowing or something before. Or? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know if you can do that, but let's, first of all, you got to know their name. That's one thing I've always I knew a long time ago. Is at least know the linesman's <laughs> name so that. You know, you can build that relationship as the game goes along or as the season goes along. But he, um, you know, he, he, pushes the, he pushes a line every single game, and he will get tossed out of a few. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, you, if you're not getting tossed out, you're not, um, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not looking across that line at all. Okay, let's talk about your penalty kill and really your special teams. But the PK is what at home has been very, very solid. And, you know, it's one of those things against teams like Kalamazoo, not so much uh, Chicago because of just – how they play their game, but, but Kalamazoo, obviously the top-rated power play in the league. You got to stop them. You got to have good numbers overall. I mean, granted, you had a game that was four for six the night uh, in Kalamazoo, but but collectively at home, where you want to control the tempo, you want to control the ice, uh, and making sure a you don't get a lot of power plays against. 
that that's good, number one. But number two, when you do, you're finding ways to kill them off. That's big for you guys. Yeah, you know, you, you break it down, it's a two-minute hockey game, basically, when you get a penalty. And, you know, that's been our focus. We have enough guys that can kill uh, penalties up front and in the back end. So, you know, we want to go quick. We want to get guys out there for 20, 25, 30 seconds, roll them over, and that way we try to keep as fresh legs as possible. I think we've done a lot better job of... Uh, you know, getting pucks 200 feet. You know, when it's on your stick, it's got to get down. We can't reload their offense. I think at any level, when you see a, a, a PK unit that doesn't get the puck out, it's almost uh, a guarantee it's going to be in your net. So I thought we've done a better job of getting pucks 200 feet, guys getting in lanes, guys blocking shots, and just a lot more communication. I think, uh, you know, we've been going a few different scenarios on, um, you know, defending the middle of the ice, and I think we've done a great job that way. Uh, the thing about the, what your penalty kill has done well defensively kind of translates into your, your five-on-five five defense, and considering how many moves you've had to make and how much growth has, has had to be in place for your defensive core, you have guys that, that really, in all honesty, and not that to say that, that they are any worse or any better, but without a guy like Brian O'Hanley on your roster, it shuffles things around. Then you throw into the mix, Garrett Suter gets injured, uh, Taylor Aronson gets injured. Uh, you've had a lot of motion back there you mentioned how heavy forwards you are you guys have right now with a what is it 12 now on the roster uh yet your defensive core has to have had basically grown as a group together despite some of the uh, the players that may not have a lot of experience like a guy like jeremy claver yeah I, I think claver did a pretty good job for us i mean i thought that first game his first period a few weeks back i was a little you know cautious of how much ice time he was going to get but you could see um you know getting more and more comfortable so yeah. unfortunately you know he had to uh Go back today just from a number standpoint. We're at our 20-man uh, limit right now. So, um, you know, he's gone back to Knoxville. They're, they're on break right now. And then we'll address it after the holiday right. here to see uh, um, his availability and what we need uh, uh, from our back end. But, yeah, I think they've all, um, you know, getting the pucks first and, uh, and, and some contact and, and just uh, active sticks. I think we've done a good job that way. Rob? Now, go back to the Chicago game. You guys are in this uh, nine-game straight, uh, nine-game straight uh, against your northern division opponents. You've won three others, first five. You won four out of six overall. What does a game like Saturday night do to overall, as you look to take these next four games and keep your six games at hand and make that strong push towards Chicago and, and Kalamazoo? Well, first of all, I think Saturday was uh, the way we responded after Friday night. So, I mean, I think uh, the most important thing was the way we came out and getting those two points. And again, against the team Chicago, who we haven't gotten two points against yet this year, we've had some. Good close games against them, some good battles, but we just haven't come up uh, on the, uh, getting the two points. So I thought the, those both points right there were huge for us. Um, you know, and obviously we're going to be playing them a lot coming up. We got them again this week and after the break. So uh, establish ourselves against Chicago is a big, uh, big bonus for us on Saturday. If you want to ask a question to the coach, you can grab the live mic from Rob and ask your question to him as we move through the hour. Also, A.J. Jenks as well as David Ledier will be here in just a bit. I think they're hanging out in the back as well. Um, we'll talk about guys like Pellick and, and certainly mention Aubin and his leadership, but how about the progress of a, of a guy named Garrett Wilson who has come in as a rookie and is a young guy, uh, not a, a tremendous amount of, of professional experience, none obviously, as a rookie, he comes in and, and has now become your go-to guy in a lot of situations. Tell me about how you feel his progress has been this season. Well, you know, I think Willie Willie does a lot of things well out there. He, he all all areas. I mean, defensively solid. He he does um, you know great on the wall, winning battles, and uh, you know offensively he seems to find a way every night to get on the scoreboard for us. So um, you know he's he's deserving of his ice time and the fact that he's uh, 
you know, he, he produces when he's out there, whether it's uh, making a good play defensively or, or offensively. And, uh, you know, he's a mature 20-year-old. You know, he's, uh, he was a leader of his junior team, but, uh, you know, that always doesn't transcend into the pro ranks. And, uh, you know, he stepped in from day one. You can just tell when you meet him for the first time is uh, his maturity level and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just what he does on the ice and the way he is off the ice. Uh, to have a young guy like that step in is a blessing. Our guy, Rob Roberts, has hooked me up with an article today from Sportsnet, uh, which is up in Canada. And uh, it's an interesting article. Actually, NHL.com did a piece on it as well about where teams in the NHL got their names. Found it interesting. And I know that you being a hockey, hockey maniac and a buff over the years, you may know some of the answers to this. So it, we'll take some of your questions. If you want to ask which team you're thinking about, I have the list in front of me, and I can read you exactly where the name came from. Anybody want to submit one? The Buffalo Sabres. Good question. Owner Seymour Knox III and Northrup Knox wanted a nickname for their new team to be unique. In 1970, the brothers sponsored a Name the Team contest and chose Sabres. Seymour uh, Seymour felt a Sabre was a weapon carried by a leader, and it was a swift and strong offensive weapon as well as a weapon on defense. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I know the Thrashers is named after that little bird, the state bird of Georgia. The Thrashers actually have been a runner-up to the Flames for Atlanta's first NHL team, which moved to Calgary in 1980. Owner Ted Turner christened the 1997 expansion after the State Bird. You are correct. One for one. Rob. Since uh, you played for the Devils, uh, where did New Jersey get their name from? It's a good, good one. Well, after coming from the Rockies, uh, John McMullen, um, I'm not exactly sure where he would have come up with the Devils. No, they'll cheat I, now. No, no, I, I know I can't help but look over there. But, um, yeah, I don't know where they came up with Devils. I know that uh, they definitely won nothing to do with the Rockies after that experience down there. Yes, here's what they list on NHL.com, which I'll post on my blog as well at CyclonesHockey.com. The club needed a new nickname, as you mentioned, after the Rockies. Uh, they relocated in 1982. The Devils began choosing um, the, the names through newspaper contests. Other finalists include Americans, Blades, the Coastals, Colonials, Gulls, Jaguars, Meadowlanders, and Meadowlarks. The nickname is based on a legend about a creature which lives in the woods or lived in the woods of New Jersey and was known as the Jersey Devil. How about that? Good job, Lou. Anybody else? The Bruins, the Boston Bruins. Let's see. Where are the Bruins? They're at the top. That would make sense, considering they start with a B. When grocery store tycoon Charles Adams bought a franchise to Boston, he asked his GM, Art Ross, name, of course, one of the NHL award trophies, to come up with a nickname. The team colors the same as his grocery store chain, brown and yellow. While name, uh, the, the name had to reflect an untamed animal displaying speed, agility, and cunning. Eventually, Ross came up with Bruins, an old English word used for brown bears in the classic folk tales. How about that? I did not know that. Do you know, now this guy, if you don't know, is, is a huge, huge Red Wings fan. Has family up there. You're a Red Wings fan too? Okay. Do you know the Red Wings, where the Red Wings name came from? Really? Is that right, Rob? No? He says no. All right, well, let's see which one is correct. James Norris purchased the Detroit Falcons in 1932 and renamed the club after an amateur hockey club he once played for, the Montreal Winged Wheelers. You recognize that name? No. He chose a winged wheel as the team's logo to reflect Detroit being the center of an emerging automobile industry. Of course, that's what you were going to say, right? It's got to be right. All right, we'll have time for one more, and then we will move along. Anybody else? Predators? Nashville Predators, actually a good one. The parent club, one of them, of the Cincinnati Cyclones. Nashville, if I can find it. Starts with an N. In 1971, Nashville, a nine-inch, nine-inch fang belonging to a saber-toothed tiger was discovered during the construction of an office building. 
When it was time to name the franchise, three choices were presented. Ice Tigers, Fury, and Attack. Owner Craig Leopold then added his own submission to the vote. And when the owner submits something, a lot of times that'll be what ends up taking place. Predators was the one they chose after the contest wrapped up. It was the successful pick. Rob? I was just going to go back. That's why you don't send your kids to Miami, but it, it, it's your show. <laughs> wow. And on that note, I think we need to take a break. So we will. <laughs> with the head coach, Jared Scaldi, I'm Nick Brunker, and uh, this guy, Rob, who thinks he's hilarious. We'll come back with AJ Jenks next on the Cyclones Radio Network. You're listening to the Cyclones Radio Network. This is CyclonesHockey.com. We are back to it live here on another segment of the Coors Light Jared Scaldi Show. Again, we'll be back after the new year. Last show of 2011 is tonight as Christmas bearing down upon us. Cyclones with two games, Wednesday and Thursday. It is a country night on Wednesday night, so bring your country gear with you. And then Thursday will be Ugly Sweater Party, which I'm, I can't imagine what that's going to look like at U.S. Bank Arena. If you have an ugly sweater, throw it on and come on down and join us on Thursday. Our next guest is a fourth-round draft pick of the Florida Panthers and, of course, in his first season here with the Cincinnati Cyclones. In his second year of professional hockey, give it up for number 25, A.J. Jenks. Hello, A.J. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I know you were looking very much forward to the show today. You, were, mm -hmm. you actually came up to me and, and exclaimed your excitement at yep. about noontime off the ice, and you said you were going to, and I think it was a quote, mix it up. Is that right? We'll try and mix it up a little bit, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, coming out of, uh, of the OHL, getting a chance to, to play junior hockey. Tell me about how your transition to the pro game has, has gone for you so far in your estimation. Well, uh, it's a pretty standard uh, adjustment, really. I mean, just about every guy that plays pro goes through it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't think I was too different. I mean, I went uh, last year I was in Rochester, New York. Uh, I played in the American League there. Um, I was pretty fortunate that uh, by the time I got there, uh, the team was kind of hurting for injuries. So I kind of got into, got into the play pretty quick, uh, just right into the mix. Didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it, so mm -hmm. it was pretty easy. And a couple of years back, you won uh, a gold medal in the uh, World Junior Championships. Tell me about that experience for I you. I did. Yeah, that was uh, by far the uh, biggest highlight of my hockey career so far. Uh, that was a surreal feeling, uh, especially winning it uh, against Team Canada. Mm -hmm. In Canada, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was the best for me so far. Certainly any time you, you can go up against Canada and win a gold, that's, that's always good. Always oh, fun. yeah, it was huge, especially because they won, like, I don't know, a bunch of them in a row. Oh, yeah. They had yeah. to lose. Yeah, I had enough of hearing it was about your that. It was your time. It was our say. time, yeah. They had enough, yeah. Rob? Now, when you were in the uh, OHL with Plymouth, you were able to win a championship in 07. But talk about your decision to go the OHL route instead of playing U.S. college hockey. Oh, man. Well, uh, I, was, I was real young. I was like uh, 14, 14 or 15, and I, was, I had a meeting with Red Berenson, University of Michigan. Go Blue. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's AJ Jenks, everybody. Well, that was a good show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he offered me a scholarship when I was 14 years old. And wow. I, was, I was 14. You're not going to say no to a scholarship. Sure. So I, I was like, yeah, man, I'm in. Sure, let's do this. <laughs> and then next year I got drafted in the OHL. I didn't really know what it was. So I just wanted to check it out and see what it was all about. And I, I loved it. It was like a pro game. And, you know, you play 70 games a year instead of 30, so sure. that, that appealed to me. I didn't want to practice eight times a week and play once. Mm -hmm. I'd rather play games. That's well, me. Well, and um, amazingly, too, you think about how that's helped the, the transition for younger guys coming out of the, the OHL and the WHL and, and junior hockey. It's, uh, once they get to January, they've already, many of the college players surpassed 
far surpassed their game totals for all of the pre- uh, previous year. Oh, yeah. You, on the other hand, your stamina, your endurance, not really tested the same way because you played 70 games a season. Right, yeah. It's something, you know, it's it's the same schedule almost. You know, you're pretty much a pro when you're 16 years old, your first year in juniors. So it's uh, that helps a lot in your development, getting ready to turn professional. Rob? Now, you, you grew up in Detroit. Yep. Talk about how easy of a transition it was just to be able to play right there in Plymouth. you think that helped ease you into the pro situation a little bit? Uh. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, I was close to home, and I had a good, uh, I had a nice support group there, so that made things easy. I mean, I still had to move out, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't moving, you know, hours away. I was still pretty close to home. I still got to see my family a lot, so I think that helped my transition. No, I take it you have, since you have family up there still. I would imagine they come down or at least have a chance to watch or see you play. Have they ever come down to Cincinnati at all yet? Um, I don't think they have yet. Uh, there's a couple times there are plans to come down, but uh, things came up so it didn't work out but uh, hopefully in the near future they can make it down rob growing growing up in detroit had to be a big uh, red wings fan uh, oh, talk yeah. about your uh, your experience with with them and maybe some uh, favorite uh, players and moments coming up um well growing up obviously huge red wings fan mm-hmm. i loved them they were awesome best team in the league for the past like a dozen years are awesome are awesome yeah yes, you're sir. right still our best team <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean, I, I watched him every game. I went to countless games. Favorite player growing up was Brendan Shanahan, but mm-hmm. I don't really like him anymore because all these suspensions <laughs> he's handing out is pretty weak. He's changed his Yeah, he's Spe- changed big time. Speaking of, uh, let's talk about that a little bit because on the air, uh, I think it was Friday night, we talked about the cool. uh, we talked about the uh, the Chris Pronger injury that has forced him out of the out of the uh, NHL now for the rest of the season and the playoffs. Yep. Uh, you talk about Brendan Shanahan suspending guys and, and you know knocking guys out of the out of the game for you know what they call dirty hits or whatever what they deem yeah. a dirty hit. Do you feel like they they are changing the game? Oh yeah, for the better. It certainly seems oh, like no, it. no. Well, uh, well, yeah. There's there's definitely way too many injuries going on right now, but I think uh, at the same time they're taking it too far. Really? How so? Uh, Andy Sutton, for instance, his second suspension. Uh, he's he's a big guy. He's six six, and uh, he's just playing the game hard the way you're supposed to play it. You know, finishing his checks. That's his role. Every player has a role on a team, and he's trying to play his role. He finishes a check, and it's. You know, he's this tall, and the next guy's this tall. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's at that height where he's going to take something from your arm, your shoulder, your elbow. It's, right. it's just going to happen. You can't hit a guy with your arms tucked in like this. So in that case, how, how do you limit the type of what they consider catastrophic injuries to guys like, like Crosby, who was out for an extended time, and certainly now Pronger, although in the back end of his career, still a, a major piece to that, that uh, Flyers team? Well, no, I, I agree, and I think he, he is a big part of that team, and I think uh, – the headshots definitely need to be eliminated, but I think the players are under too much of a microscope at this point, mm-hmm. and every single little hit is being analyzed. And I think if there's an injury, absolutely it needs to be analyzed and needs to be you know, disciplined for it, but I think they're taking it a little too far. Now, with that said, in your game, being a bigger guy yourself, yeah. do you ever find yourself going in and to a corner or behind the net trying to make a hit or make a play ever thinking about it and thinking about, okay, where am I hitting this guy? How is he positioned? Obviously, you read and react, but is there any more, like, is it more cerebral than that, or is it just kind of a read and react? Um, it's, yeah, you still got to read and react, but you definitely have a different thought process going in because, I, mean, uh, I mean, there's definitely players that don't really care much about what kind of position <laughs> you're in, but, you know, I, I have a little bit of respect for the guys I'm playing against, and uh, I, I think twice before I hit somebody about what kind of position they're in, what kind of position I'm in, got to protect yourself too out mm-hmm. there and uh yeah i mean you can't just 
throw your body around recklessly. That's how people get hurt. Nobody wants anybody getting hurt. At least I don't. Okay, now your pregame rituals or anything that, you know, everybody has their own little thing. Uh, what does A.J. Jenks do to get ready for a game day? Uh, it's different every game. I don't let myself get into superstitions. I just I go to the rink. I do my thing. It's never the same. I just... I don't know. I just change it up. That's that's my way. And you seem to have a good time. You keep things loose in the locker room too. I would bet. That's that's what I like to do. Yeah, I don't like to be too uptight, too nervous, and all that. I mean, yeah. I like to play hockey. That's why. That's why I still do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I I enjoy playing, and it's not something I'm gonna, you know, lose sleep over. I mean, last week we lost a game in Kalamazoo, pretty bad, seven three. And after the game, I was upset, but I got over it pretty quick, and I was in a good mood on the bus because mm-hmm. we were gonna play again the next day. And, we we, uh, we met, something you can't dwell on. Sorry to interrupt. The, the player meeting after we talked with Coach Scaldi about uh, just kind of going through it with, with as best language and as best you know, information as you can, mm-hmm. uh, what was said in the game after Friday night in you the know, locker room? We, we pretty much just echo what the coaches tell us all the time. I mean, uh, that's what, and in my opinion anyways, that's what the leaders are supposed to be, you know, a little bit of an extension of the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. You need to. You need to have everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. And we just said, you know, they gave us a game plan. We didn't execute it. So that's on us. It's not on them. I think they know if uh, if we went out there, we played to a T the systems they put out there for us, and we were unsuccessful, I think they would take responsibility for that and change it up. But when we go out there, we don't do, you know, the things we need to do. We're not winning battles. We're mm-hmm. not executing our breakouts or whatever. That That's on us. And uh, after the game, we just kind of decided, like, we really need to – take it upon ourselves to really try and execute our systems and take things to the next level. Rob? Any uh, certain, along with the pregame, you have any certain music that likes to get you pumped up? Uh, no. Uh, I like country. I always listen to it. I'm, I'm not into, like, heavy metal or rap or anything before games. I always listen to country. I just like to be in a good mood. Is there anything on your iPod that shouldn't be on there? Uh, no. Guilty pleasure, perhaps? So no, I, I, I would play my whole iPod in front of everybody in here right now and not feel one bit of shame. I got a 2008 interview you did with NHL.com about a certain song from Backstreet Boys that you said was uh, kind of unregrettable that you had on your iPod. Oh, yeah. You know what? We did this thing at the uh, the uh, Top Prospects game. I was wondering why you had that on YouTube. That was weird. But uh, yeah. Just how I do it. I know. He, he went to Miami, but continue. Here we go. Exactly. Touche. Uh, you know what, I like. I talked to a couple of guys who had already gone in and done their interviews, and I was just like, you know, what are they asking? You know, anything weird I should prepare myself for? They're like, yeah, anything weird on your iPod. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just have them skip that one because I don't really have anything. They're like, well, you have to have something. So I said, all right, well, what did you say? So I just followed the guy in front of me and said that. I'd, I've had enough of your playlist now, so... Sister, you know, the, you know the word. Sing along. Anytime. I, man, I can. You sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> Give it up for AJ Jenks playing along with us. We'll come back with David Lee here next on the Cyclones Radio Network. You're listening to CyclonesHockey.com. Back again for another segment here on the Coors Light. Jared Scaldi Show will be back with a coach here in just a couple of minutes as he will preview the week against Chicago and Kalamazoo, which will begin on Wednesday at U.S. Bank Arena. Joined now by a fourth-year pro who has joined us after spending the last few seasons with the Trenton Devils. You know him as number 41, the assistant captain for the Cincinnati Cyclones. One of them, give it up for David Ledier. Now, 
you and I had a conversation when you first got here because it's a pretty basic setup of questions when a player comes into Cincinnati for the first time. Okay, where are you from? What kind of stuff did you do growing up? You know, just to you know, kind of get to know you piece. And then also the pronunciation of your name. Your name has been mispronounced, I would imagine, more times than any of the others. And that's saying something considering some of the, the, the crazy European names that we've had come through here and come through the ECHL. How many times would you guess it has been mispronounced over your many years of pro hockey? Uh, it's been mispronounced just about every time, uh, unless if someone asks me how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the extra little ER there kind of messes people up. Uh, I've had everything, leaderer, leaderer. Like, leaderer is a pretty common that's one. That's like common, you know, it's a, you add the extra ER on there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, unless if they ask me, they're not usually going to get it right. Is that a pet peeve, or do you kind of, at this point, you're Used done to with it. it? I mean, our family even, so they say it two different ways. It's leadier and leaderer. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, you take it as he is. You had your 100th point of your professional career back on November the 29th against Greenville with an assist. That had to have been a big milestone for you. Did you even know that it happened? I know when I told you you were approaching it, you had no idea. But once you got close, did, did you start kind of thinking about it when you were on the ice, or does that not really uh, interest you in any any way? I mean, it's always in the back of your it's always in the back of your mind. But uh, the type of game I play is uh, I try to play defense first, and then I'll obviously help offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been pretty successful in that the past three years. Um, so, yeah, it was a great, great milestone. I knew it was coming up this year. Um, but, I mean, once once I got that, it was, it was a great relief. But it uh, also shows I played a lot of games, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, boy, you talk about spending years in Trenton. And if I'm not mistaken, you spent three years there. Uh, that's a place that I know if, if Cyclones fans have, have made their way in there, uh, the best view of Trenton is the, in the rearview mirror, in my opinion. Uh as a guy who's played there for multiple years, maybe you have a, a little different a, a opinion or an affinity to it. Uh, tell me what your experience was like when you were a member of the Trenton Devils. Uh, it was an interesting three years. I mean, it, it was good in the, in the sense that I was able to develop a lot. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't miss a game there uh, due to injury or healthy scratch, so I, I played a lot, played in all situations. And, uh, you know, they, they treated you well there. They had great amenities in the arena. Um, they, they really took care of you in that aspect. Uh, I mean, the atmosphere for the games wasn't uh, anything like here in Cincinnati. Uh, they don't get a very good fan base, and here it's, you yeah. know, it's, 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 it's great to play in front of the fans here. Um, I haven't been used to that since school. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was an interesting three years, but, you know, I don't, I don't regret any of it. So. Rob, you had a follow-up, speaking of school, about his days in Hockey East. Yeah, when you were in the Hockey East, you were two-time all-conference, all-academic. Um, talk about not only being able to, to get that, but how that might set you up for your career after hockey as well. Uh, well going in uh, my first year, I, I did all right in school, and that was really a wake-up call to me. I really wanted to succeed uh, and have that as a backup plan, so I really want to strive to make the academic, uh, uh, the academic team uh, every year. And what it is, you have to get 3.0 or higher um, for both semesters combined. So I, I, I thought it was a great accomplishment to do that. Uh, it was something I strive for every year, and I think my last year I just missed it. Um, but, yeah, you know, you always got to have something to fall back on. Um, you know, everybody that I've talked to, no one regrets going to college rather than playing junior. Uh, it's a great experience, and like I said, you have that to fall back on. Now, do you think that experience has helped you out in your pro career as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, you learn a lot of discipline uh, while you're in school because you're obviously living on your own. Same thing with juniors. Um, but you're on your own. Uh, you got to learn to take care of yourself, and uh, you're balancing the, ho- the schoolwork and hockey as well. Okay, so 
Turn my mic on. Um, obviously, in a situation where you are one of the veterans on this club, you've played a lot of games. You mentioned uh, this is the youngest team in the ECHL, at least and last time I checked the math. On average, they have the youngest team in the ECHL. That would put you in, in obviously, wearing the A anyway, a leadership role, but being a guy who's been around the block, who's kind of seen it, uh, understands how you need to, to play to succeed, do the right things like you mentioned off the ice. Uh, how much uh, conversation have you had with some of the younger guys in the room, or do they just kind of watch you from afar and, and try to pick up on things that you do? Well, I, I'm the type of leader that likes to lead by example. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not very talkative, overly talkative. Uh, I mean, I'll obviously pitch in, say stuff, try and get the guys going, but I try and lead by example, uh, show them how things are done the right way. And, uh, you know, I'm really, when I'm on my game, I'm, I'm paying attention to all the details. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing for those younger guys coming in. Yeah. Uh, it's a long season, especially we have a lot of college kids. Mm -hmm. So once you get past, you know, the 35-game milestone, it's a big wake-up call to them. What kind of things do you say about those milestones? Because you're at 30, you know, 38 games or so. That's when you start really seeing that, that development and, and how much endurance you really have. What kind of things are you going to tell those younger players to do um, or maybe how to conserve as they get into the second half of our season? Uh, it's really taking care of your body. Uh, it's a grueling season, especially when we get into February, March there mm -hmm. when we – basically have a game every other day <laughs> it's true um it's very grueling and uh the biggest thing is sleep uh it's the best it's the best tool for you uh it's when your body recovers and getting to bed at a good time and getting your sleep rob now in, in the locker room like we've had albie on here and albie yeah. he he's met he's a chirper inside the locker oh, yeah. room yeah. outside <laughs> the locker room now what kind of guy are you inside the locker room and do you like to have fun with maybe some of the rookies and if you have what kind of uh jokes have you played over with them over the years I uh, you know I just I like to mess around a little bit. Uh, I mean I take things a little, I take things serious, but you know I always joke around. Uh, like Berkey's actually been messing around with me this year a lot. And, uh, yeah, he has. I thought I thought my roommate ratted me out that uh, he told me that I was a prankster because he's been messing around with me every time. So I mean, uh, you just like to mess around with guys a little bit. You know we all chirp each other in, in a fun way. Nothing gets mm -hmm. uh, too ruthless or anything, but. Yeah, you know, we just like to have some fun and keep it loose. Now, a guy that you want to make uh, an ally with is, is your equipment manager, no matter where you are. And, and, and Chris Burke is, is one of the best that there is uh, and, and certainly is very professional at what he does. But at the same time, like you said, he's a pretty good prankster. He knows, he knows what to do to push people's buttons in a fun way. Give us some examples of the things he's done to you over the course of this season. Uh, well, the biggest thing he's done with me is uh, my sticks. Uh, when I first came down here from Milwaukee, uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have the curves yet, and uh, they finally came in. So every time I ask him for one, he always tells me that I'm all out. Um, <laughs> that, that always gets me. You know, that, That's the biggest thing for hockey players is stick. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, he, he always likes to joke around with me about that. So Now, speaking of sticks, we watched a piece, or at least part of the, uh, the Making the Cut series that we did preseason, the documentary on, uh, on the training camp of the Cyclones. One of the uh, episodes featured uh, the stick work and taping and waxing and all that kind of stuff that went into getting uh, the stuff ready to play. Some people have different routines. What kind of stuff do you do uh, to, to get your stick ready for gameplay? Because you have three or four or five sticks that, yeah. that you'll put up in the line, and just in case one breaks, you move down the line. You label them one, two, three, and four. Why do you label them as, as such? Is there a reason? I actually don't have my sticks labeled. Um, I usually... Usually have about two two good ones, and then the third and fourth one, you know, they're decent. I'll try and use those in practice a lot. Um, but the biggest thing, uh, I always, it always drives me crazy. What I have to do is I, I like to have my uh, knob shaved down, so mm -hmm. I have to have extra knobs, and it just takes a little extra work to make up a stick. So I try and do that before the game, so I don't have to worry mm -hmm. about that. 
Uh, I mean, it drives myself nuts that I have to do so much work. I wish I could just tape it right up there, but uh, it's just a preference of mine. Now, why is that a preference? What, what kind of things does, does that allow you to do? Uh, or is it just a mental you know, thing? No, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. I, I know my father did it with me uh, one time when I was growing up when I was younger. And uh, when I was in college, the, uh, the Nike bar rep asked me if I wanted mm-hmm. the, uh, the taper knob. And I was, yeah, absolutely. I tried and absolutely loved it. So yeah. I haven't gone back since. And the rest, as they say, you know, it's funny. When it comes to equipment, everybody has their own unique routines. Is there somebody in the locker room that you, you kind of look at and watch and say, I can't believe he's doing what he's doing? Actually, not here. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen it too much here. I mean, in Trenton, we had a guy that was uh, pretty bad. Um, Give but, us some examples. Well, he, he actually, he's in Greenville right now, but he's, uh, he had some weird quirks. Uh, he'd, he'd knock a lot. He'd, uh, his whole routine, I almost had a down pad after three <laughs> years playing with him. But, uh, yeah, he's, he was a head case. What's your favorite thing about being a pro? Uh, you know, being with the guys every day. Uh, you know, going to the rink, we're there. You know, the good thing about our job was only there for a couple hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you cherish that time when you're with the guys who obviously live together in the same apartment complex. So being with a group of guys, it's like a little family. Sorry. Uh, no, that's fine. Uh, we're, you know, we're like a family. Uh, you yeah. always have them there. We're all away from home. Uh, so just being around them, you know, you, you cherish that time. One of the things that uh, I know kind of goes under the radar, we try to promote it when we can and, and publicize that we're doing it, but uh, there's a lot of times just too many stops along the way for these guys to, to promote everyone. But he, uh, David's gone to the hospital several times with us over the course of the season to visit with, with sick children, and uh, I know it's, it's something that means a lot to you guys. And yep. uh, to have a chance to do that, uh, talk about what that means for you and obviously to lead the other younger guys who may not have done this to, to show the importance, and I know it, it, it puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, uh, it was great coming into the, the program that they had here. You know, Dustin Sprout started the HP4K here. Uh, Dan Eves has basically taken over the reins for that here in Cincinnati. So coming in, I was his roommate. Uh, you know, he uh, – I, I wanted to help out, obviously, mm-hmm. but, you know, he obviously influenced me a lot there to get be a member. I'm now a member of HP4K. Uh, so it's just great to see, you know, you put a smile on the kid's face when you go to the hospital. We went and played ball hockey with the kids. You know, they loved it. Uh, they love seeing you there, and you really, like, it really makes you sit back and think, like, you know, how good I have it right now. And it, it, it's a good feeling to see them smile. Well, we wish you the best of success. Maybe another 100 points here before too long, all right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's David Leader, everybody. We'll take a break. Come back with the head coach of the Cyclones, Jared Scaldi, for one last segment next here on the Cyclones Radio Network. CyclonesHockey.com. <laughs> Welcome back. Last segment here on the Coors Light Jared Scaldi Show. Thanks to A.J. Jenks and David Ledier for being with us tonight as we are here every Monday night. Well, not every, I guess, because next week we're not going to be here. Merry Christmas to everybody. We hope you have a great holiday as well, and Happy New Year. We'll see you after 2012 flips over. And uh, let's I'll look ahead to the week because it's kind of just a mirror of last week. So I, I would imagine not a whole lot of different game planning going on, Coach. But at the same time, you kind of just carry the things over from what you did well on Saturday night to earn the shutout. Yeah, I think we're going to uh, obviously watch a lot of video on, on Kalamazoo, our, our power play there, power play, stuff like that, and just some tendencies that uh, uh, just to show the guys and again with uh, with Chicago. So, um, you know, we got a long day ahead of us tomorrow, and uh, uh, we have an interesting uh, guest coming in. Andrew Castles today went and picked up his 16-year-old son in Oshawa and is coming home for the Christmas holidays. So uh, Cole Castles will be at uh, practice the next couple of days. So, uh He'll come on the ice, and uh, it'll be fun to see him out there. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because he's, uh, he's a, he'd be playing against guys like Garrett Wilson this year if Garrett Wilson was back as an overage and Anthony Luciani and Jonathan Hazen. So 
that age gap is, uh, although it's four years, is still uh, mm -hmm. a lot closer than we think. And uh, so it'll be uh, fun to see Cole out there and kind of see what type of player uh, he is. I know he's he's pretty jacked up from what I understand. He's When, when he got told that, hey, you want to come to practice tomorrow, I think one of his first questions was, is Coach okay with this? Is Skulls okay with yeah. this? And, and when he found out you were, it sounds like he's pretty pretty amped up. Well, he is 16, and he's going to have to – they drove home. They drove back to Columbus tonight, and uh, I don't know at 5.30, usually when Andrew leaves uh, Columbus, I don't know if Cole will be that excited at 5.30 to get in a car ride for two hours and get to <laughs> Cyclones practice in time. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see him. I know he's an extremely talented player, and – it's always interesting to see, uh, you know, him against some of our guys, you know, and and, mm -hmm. and just sort of, and, and, and obviously it's not a battle situation, just more of a speed and, and, and seeing his, uh, his skill set. So uh, we're excited. You mentioned the, the speed and transitioning back quickly to Kalamazoo. Uh, we don't know what Chicago is going to have uh, come Thursday because of the same thing that, that we've experienced here watching some of the American League affiliates filter down some of their guys, perhaps to get a couple of games in. At this point, it appears that uh, that both Strong as well as, uh, as Brandon Spenson will not be in the lineup on Wednesday. Again, all things could change. But uh, with that in mind, let's just assume that, that everything stays the same. Uh, the speed of the game, certainly, in Kalamazoo is always a little bit higher just considering the smaller ice surface. With that opportunity again on the table without their two best players uh, to, to maybe stretch them out a bit like you did with Chicago yeah. on Saturday, that's got to be big for you in the first five, ten minutes. You know, when you look at our team, I mean, guys like when Jonathan Hayes in skating and, and, and guys like that, I mean, we, we have a fast team, uh, you know, Cahill, Chris Cahill, but, you know, if you're not if not using your assets, you know, you're really not contributing out there. But when we're, we're moving our feet and we're skating, you know, so it's, it's fun to watch. But if, if not, it, uh, you know, these guys are ineffective. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to use our speed. We want to get, um, you know, on that attack. So it's, uh, you know, the same, the same thing. We'll go over a lot of things uh, the next couple of days and get ready for, uh, you know, our division rivals here uh, Wednesday, Thursday. Looking forward to it. Merry Christmas, Coach. And we will you. see you back here as well as everybody else after the new year. And, of course, between now and then, there is a watch party. So if you want to go to the uh, – uh, Paps Party Express with us in Chicago at the end of January. Your next chance to win tickets on that bus is coming up on Friday the 30th. Again, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you in 2012 on the Cyclones Radio Network. <laughs>